It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. Good morning, I'm Matt Pikin, and welcome to the weekly broadcast of the daily podcast, The Overlook with Matt Pikin. The Overlook is about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville. The Overlook returns with fresh podcast episodes Tuesday, September 5th, but you can find a backlog of about 80 episodes on your favorite podcasting app. The renovations that need to happen at Thomas Wolfe Auditorium were well known for many years to anyone who's worked or performed in the theater. Now, with the heating and air conditioning system out of order, Thomas Wolfe Auditorium is closed, at least until next spring and possibly longer, and that's forced a scramble to move some shows into the neighboring Harris Cherokee Center. Still, the economic impact of lost shows is expected to be in the millions. The problem is people book these tours six, nine, 12, 18 months in advance. And so when we don't have a set timeline yet on when we're going to be reopened, I can't take new dates yet. And so even once we're good and we know we're going to be reopened, we're still going to have a lag time. And then for everyone else, that's not our great relationship partners, but the ones we work with maybe once every year or two or three, those ones, we're going to have to go out and really knock on doors again and put some extra effort to get that business back flowing. My guest today is Chris Coral, Director of Community and Regional Entertainment Facilities for Asheville. He runs Thomas Wolfe Auditorium and Harris Cherokee Center, along with a handful of other entertainment venues for the city. In today's episode, he lays out the condition of the auditorium, the timeline for repairs, and the costs of closure that go beyond financial. We also get to the deeper issues that have plagued the auditorium for decades and what a state-of-the-art auditorium could mean for Asheville. Hey 
Hey, Overlook audience, did you know that every month I produce more than 400 minutes of exclusive local content relevant to life in Asheville? The Overlook is a one-man band, well, along with the fantastic, generous guests I invite onto the show, but my point is I'm delivering something Asheville has never had before. If you value The Overlook, if it makes you a more informed and engaged citizen, consider joining my Patreon campaign. You can be a sustaining member for as little as $5 a month. Your support would mean the world to me. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash the Overlook podcast. I began my conversation with Chris Coral by asking about the state of disrepair of Thomas Wolfe and also the current condition of the neighboring Harris Cherokee Center. I think disrepair is a strong word and probably not really accurate, especially in the arena side of the venue. There's been a lot of renovation that's happened there dating back to 2010, lots of investment, different upgrades and enhancements. And we've really turned the table there. That venue, if you go back 10, 15 years in the news, was at a point that there were citizens calling for it to be torn down, renovated, moved out of town, just like it was abysmal. And through a city investment that was then matched by some sponsors and the Tourism Development Authority, we've 180 that room. Our booking numbers are up by 100 dates a year. Our annual revenue at the complex as a whole was a little over $2 million back then. We're at like 5.6 now. So we're, we're really turning things around and creating a good positive economic impact downtown. And a lot of that is focused in the arena. Now, the Wolf, the story there is it's a little bit different. So it had the same challenges that the arena had where we went decades where the city didn't put capital maintenance into that facility as a whole. And when we started investing in the arena, we really focused on right-sizing one venue within the complex and still haven't really done a lot of work in the Thomas Wolf. So now when things have broken, we have fixed them, but we haven't really enhanced it. Similar to really what I was talking about in the media related to the baseball stadium over the last year, it's been adequately maintained. It just hasn't been upgraded throughout the years, which got us to this big leap that had to happen at that baseball stadium. And with the Wolf, like this is another one of the dominoes of a significant failure of some portion of the equipment or infrastructure in the building that we've had to fix. This one is just by far the most significant that we've had, at least in my almost 11 years here, in that the parts that have broken are big, significant part of really old units, and I'm getting lead time estimates of six months and more. So we just got our hand forced into having to close down partially and then fully in a matter of less than 30 days, just with some equipment failures. And so trying to work through that and finding the quickest and most cost-effective solution to get reopened is our target right now. So it sounds like on the core of it, the main difference from what you're telling me between what was going on with the Harris Cherokee Center and Thomas Wolfe is that people were complaining about certain conditions. They wanted to see upgrades, but they weren't existential crises so much. Whereas what you're talking about, and we haven't mentioned the HVAC system specifically, but from what I understand, Mm -hmm. that's at the spine of this and that there are real critical issues that are keeping you uh, from even having the facility open. That seems to be the difference between those two. Is that right? Yeah. So the equipment failures that have happened at the Wolf, we've got three air handler units that control the heating and the air conditioning and the seating chamber and on the stage in the theater. So our main unit, which controls about two thirds of the house, had a coil failure and a drain pan failure in late May. We worked through some June events that we had with just one unit down and two working units. 
and they were generally doing okay. We didn't have the most comfortable environment for fans, but it was manageable. Then we had a sold out concert on July 3rd with the smile and we were trying to work through that situation. It was like 80 some degrees outside, sold out crowd. We gave away free water, handed out paddle fans to everybody, had extra medical staff on, on hand just in case. And the temperature in the room got over 86 degrees. The humidity was 79%. And the other units worked so hard to try to make up for them. We lost those two units too. So we tried to fight through events while we were waiting on repairs for this bigger unit. The other units died, and now we're in a place where we literally have no heat or air conditioning capabilities in the seating chamber of the Thomas Wolf. So we've moved forward with closing, quote-unquote, the room for a time period. And in that time period, we're moving our events that were previously booked in the theater into our arena and like cut down more intimate theater-style setup for everything that we had the arena available for. And some events that we were already booked in both rooms, we're working through other plans on how we either keep the event, move it somewhere else in the city, or lose it all together to another market. You touched on a couple of things I want to hit on. So that fateful July concert, it sounds like you and your staff were aware of these issues, mm-hmm. but that what the failure of the system itself, if not caught you off guard, you didn't anticipate, wow, we're going to have this collision of this, the system be taxed so much in one sitting. Yeah, we, we didn't think it could get worse than it was. And then it did. And we've even since closing down, like not operating those three units that are broken, we've had additional pipe failures in, in our steam and hot water system that runs the HVAC just in the last couple of weeks. So there's this little snowball that's running in our HVAC system that hopefully we can get repaired in the very near future. But again, we're talking like six to nine months in that repair timeline. It's, it, it is what it is. It will be fixing the parts within the units, not full replacement, because that full replacement timeline was even longer. And we really feel like we need to get back open for business downtown and to create that economic impact as soon as we can. It, it seems this was going to happen at some point regardless. And even if you needed to replace the system, this would take time. That mm-hmm. So you would have to close at a certain point, right? Even if the machinery had not broken down, from what it sounds like, you would have to at some point have had to close and replace this, and it would have been a process of months. Yeah. More ideally, though, you would have planned for it and not booked events for that period of time and been prepared for it. So the challenge with this is that we had numerous events already either confirmed and publicly on sale or confirmed and not publicly on sale yet. So managing through with those artists, agents, promoters, band managers to negotiate out, either moving it to the arena, finding a new date, canceling altogether, that's been really the bulk of our work the last couple of weeks, just trying to figure out our calendar for the next year, essentially. What a nightmare, just a logistic nightmare. And and tell me, is, is it wrong to think that this also hurts our reputation in a way that whether it's booking agents, promoters, others who are in this business, when something like this happens, do you fear, you and your colleagues here, do you worry about a ripple effect like, wow, this takes Asheville off the map and takes our center off the map and we won't be considered next time around, or at least there'll be some hesitancy next time around? Yeah, getting back in the game is going to be harder because we've been established for decades and like we have really great relationships. So like I know... That once we have a date and we know we're going to be set, I can make some phone calls and start getting business put back in there. The problem is people book these tours 
six, nine, 12, 18 months in advance. And so when we don't have a set timeline yet on when we're going to be reopened, I can't take new dates yet. And so even once we're good and we know we're going to be reopened, we're still going to have a lag time. And then for everyone else, that's not our great relationship partners, but the ones we work with maybe once every year or two or three, those ones, we're going to have to go out and really knock on doors again and put some extra effort to get that business back flowing and get on a regular rotation. The good thing is, most of our regular partners have been in the room enough that they understand and that they've seen that it's, it needs some work for a while. And so this isn't like terribly surprising to them. They're just, it's frustrating, right? Like you had a show booked, you've got to pay the band or not pay the band or negotiate that deal again. And it would have been nice had it was just been a planned situation. Sometimes you just got to roll with the punches and that's what show business is. When you talk about regular partners, one that comes to mind is the Asheville Symphony. They have monthly concerts there. They've been doing that forever. And at the same time, Darko Buderitz and others have spoken that, boy, the acoustics here we wish were better. In some respects, can some work happen on improving certain things now and using the, the time to replace systems to also make certain upgrades that would have had to take place at another time? Is there any sort of coupling of that? I'm hoping to get into that. We're working on getting contractors to come in and give us quotes on some basic stuff. Like I don't want to get into major renovations because I'm still hopeful that someday we will do a major renovation of that space. But we're looking at having the bathrooms redone, like new tile, new fixtures, new paint, just show effort in there, maybe redo the carpeting. But we're not going to get to the point where we're replacing the whole seating because we're talking millions of dollars at that point versus like tens of thousands or maybe a $100,000 project. Maybe some plaster repair and some painting in places, but... We're not going to be expanding the lobby or moving bathrooms away from the lobby, anything like that. That would definitely not happen during this downtime. One, because of funding. And two, I think we need like a more defined plan as to like what the phasing would be for a future of the theater before we get into anything significant. I don't want to be a steward of government money and overspend now for something that should get fixed in the next three to five years, for example. So trying to find that right spot, I think is key. At the same time, so you're talking about being closed for six to nine months for what really amounts to kind of a Band-Aid, fixing what went catastrophically wrong, but then still needing to do these major upgrades and renovations. Yeah, that's accurate. I think a really good example is that the arena concept that I spoke about. So over time, there's been something like $16 million put into that room over a decade. And has this money been largely city money and TDA money, or where has that money come from? Uh, It's been a good split. Roughly a third to 40% maybe city money, another third to 40% TDA. And the rest has been like sponsorship dollars, like our naming rights agreement with Harris Cherokee and US Cellular and some other smaller sponsorships that we have like Pepsi and some other groups like that. But that money has gone towards repairs in the arena, but it hasn't fixed everything. I'm looking today at a $75,000 quote that I got to replace some fans in our ductwork in the arena that need to be upgraded. So there's ongoing capital that needs to happen at venues of this size. And it's going to take a while to catch up because, again, both rooms went from the mid-70s to early 2000s with no true capital maintenance plan. And so council had the forethought back in 2010 or 11, I think it was, that they set like a set capital budget for the facility every year moving forward. And so we've been using that money, one for whatever emergency repairs come in or for smaller upgrades, one air handler at a time, or let's do this bathroom and just handling different areas of the facility to slowly get up to 
what current standard is of expectations of the public when they come to an arena. And you said that was city money specifically they were talking about that they put a cap on it. Yeah. So it's interesting. You've touched on three funding sources. So the city, they make an annual budget that the city sets. That the TDA, it's grant-based yes. funding, so you can't predict that. And then sponsors, it's whatever you can get, and there might be a lot of uses that you might want to put that money to. Is it hard to think about some of these, the bigger renovations that need to happen when you have these disparate funding sources and how can that happen? Now, you, I guess you would look back at the arena as a model for how it happened there. You were mentioning $16 million worth of renovations that happened. Can something similar happen to Thomas Wolfe? Something can. The challenge with the theater, because of what theaters are and just the changing and pricing of materials and everything over the last few years as everyone's experience is that number is going to be more significant. And, and I don't want to say a number because I don't want to be held to one because I don't have any like true estimates from architects or anything at this time. But $16 million is not going to go a long way in that theater, I guess is what I would say. Because the $16 million that was in the arena was how many years ago? It was over a period of six or seven years starting in 2010. Okay, so not the distant past, but enough to where costs have gone up exponentially. Yes. So you can't even place a figure on it, yet you're saying $16 million would not go very far in this arena. No, I mean, just some replacement quotes that we received on our HVAC system when we immediately started working on this in the last month, we were looking at two to 10 million, depending on how much we fixed just in the HVAC and like our electricals and fuse boxes in that room. So there's a lot of work that would need to happen there. But I think there's a real opportunity in that city council knows that this is an important venue. We have funding already in our capital budget that can make these repairs. So it's not about needing money from city council. This is not a thing they're going to have to work through to help get us repaired and back open. For the Band-Aid we mentioned. For for this work, yeah. Now, if we get into something bigger, it'll be a a much bigger conversation similar to what we just did with the baseball stadium. But there's an opportunity to get business back into town. And that's what we were originally put here for. If you go back to the 1930s, that venue was built downtown to help create business and create opportunities for conventions in downtown. And then they added the arena. They decided in the 60s, opened it in the early 70s. And that was specifically to help continue revitalization of downtown and bringing people in and bringing business. So that's what we're here for. We're also a cultural amenity and we do civic events like graduations and nonprofit events and things like that. But like, really, we're here to bring butts and seats and restaurants, feet on the street, heads and beds, have a community impact, but also bring those touring acts so that you and I as locals can stay in Asheville to see somebody instead of driving to Greenville or Charlotte. Has there been an analysis yet on how much economic impact this closure just for the six to nine months is going to hit the city with? Yeah. So just to be clear on how I got to this number. So we had an economic impact study done a few years ago and we haven't had one redone since this failures happened, but I spoke to the person that put it together and asked him if I used certain escalators, if I was in the right ballpark. And he said, yeah, the way that the method I got to is 
the venue as a whole is good for about $73, $74 million of economic impact. That's with the arena also. Yeah, the whole complex. And so then paring down and just taking out the potential lost dates in the Thomas Wolf using last year's numbers of a full fiscal year, it's about $30 million of economic impact loss to Buncombe County and Asheville City. But again, that's assuming everything in the Wolf just goes completely away. And so far, we've been successful in moving a good number of our events from the Wolf into the arena. We're not done. We've only made it through about December on the calendar yet, but I think we're going to be able to save 50 to 60% of those events. So it might be more like a 15, $16 million hit, but I just, I don't know yet because we haven't solved into the spring yet. That's great that you're being creative in that way. What has to happen in the arena to accommodate performances, productions that were meant for the theater? Yeah. So we've built out this really cool intimate setting in the arena that comes out to only a hundred seats more than the theater. So it's very comparable as far as the setup, both for the public and for the band. Uh, I'll send you a picture. It's nice. It looks really good, but it's this cool theater. It's 52 foot tall curtains that go from the ceiling all the way to the floor. You build the stage in, has great wing space for the bands arguably better sight lines than the Thomas Wolf. The audio is very comparable. The only challenge with this room, it's going to be great for an amplified touring rock show or for the Nutcracker or even comedians. It's not going to solve the problem for the symphony as an acoustic event that needs that shell and to push the audio out into the hall without speakers. And And also to have a more refined, offer a more refined sound. Right. Yeah. And so it's still a theater inside an arena, which will do the job for the vast majority of the events that we need to move. It's unfortunately not going to solve the problem for the symphony. I know we're parsing out the short-term work versus the longer-term work. But I do want to talk about the long-term work because I think a lot of people think this was bound to happen. There are things that Thomas Wolfe needs to address. I'm wondering about now that the city and county have committed to funding McCormick Field, if the timing for this in some ways couldn't be worse because we've dipped into this money that we don't have yet, that this is this is money that mm-hmm. that we will be collecting over time of this loan with McCormick Field. How does the commitment to McCormick Field affect at all what might be the longer term picture for what's needed at Thomas Wolfe? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big project, right? I I think it's the biggest single project that both the city and the TDA have committed to ever. I think it's in comparison to the rad tip that the city's done, but that was over multiple phases as far as one big commitment. This is the biggest. So yeah, that timing's not ideal, especially since we're assuming it's going to be a similar price tag. But I think it shows that it can be done. And you go to all these other cities and you see these like big, nice, clean, new things that are going up just in the last 10 years. And you know that it can be done. You see other cities doing it. And we've done those over the years with the Pack Plaza space, the Rad Tip, McCormick Field's going to be one of those. And I think the area around Thomas Wolf could be one, whether it's the next one or if it's two or three of those from now, I don't know. It shows that there's a model that we can put both local governments together, the TDA and a private or nonprofit source to make a four-entity partnership And I think it's realistic. Now, whether that's realistic this year, next year, five years from now, that's a whole nother story. Do you think it's going to take a referendum of some sorts to go to voters and ask for more tax revenue specifically for renovating Thomas Wolfe? I don't know. It could ultimately a council decision. And I know they're starting to work through a process to determine if they want to do a bond and what would be on that bond. But uh, I don't know. More after this. 
When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer, you're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City Soccer so great. Longtime player Laura Greb. We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums, they've got their smoke, they've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. You mentioned how other cities do it, but you also mentioned these new facilities. Obviously, Thomas Wolfe and the arena are older facilities. Does it make more sense to tear down and build a new on the same spot and have something that will truly last and, and have something up to date that we don't have to address again for a quarter century, at least in terms of renovations or just trying to renovate what's already there, but never knowing what you need to fix down the road? It certainly could be the case that it makes more sense to tear down, but it depends on scope, scale, and the desires of city council, county commission, the community as a whole, and like what our financial commitment is. If we're at a lower number, you're definitely going to want to renovate, right? Like a new building nowadays, some of the most recent that have been built that are similar in size, you're talking like 80 to $150 million projects. Like these are huge projects. But at the same time, it could be saving money down the road. Like it's, yeah. it costs a lot up front, but what are we, what's the end game here? And you really have to look at each individual community to figure out what their purpose was. So the Tanger Center got built in Greensboro recently with the purpose of bringing Broadway to that community and economic impact. And I don't know what the numbers are, but I did see them and it was insane. The economic impact that building had in the really? first few years. Yeah. You'd have to look at it. I mean, um, just by being, bringing Broadway type shows to Greensboro yeah, made they, a huge difference. They tore down what was called the War Memorial Auditorium and rebuilt the Tanger Center. I think it's around 3000 seats. It does Broadway touring shows, comics, etc. Symphony and ballet play there. And its economic impact is just off the charts. And then you go down the road and you look at Rocky Mount, who I want to say six years ago, built this like sports complex that's more like a sports convention center type of thing. And their whole draw was amateur sports. But again, they wanted people downtown and economic impact. And they have had a lot of success with it. I think they've actually paid off the facility in economic impact, but not direct revenue, because that's how these things work a lot of times. You look at Raleigh and they have a fully functional amphitheater and Red Hat amphitheater and they're about to move it a quarter mile because they already have the money to do that based on the impact that's been created around that convention center and amphitheater because of its ability to be flexible and do events. And that's our biggest challenge with the Thomas Wolf is the flexibility of what can be in the room because it's so dated. See, that's amazing. I'm glad you brought up those other examples. And it can't be as simple as if you build it, more things will come. Or is it that simple? You're talking about having a versatile, nimble, flexible facility that can accommodate a lot. So the Asheville Symphony, and I guess this would be up to them, but 
if you build a new facility or have something that is state of the art, quote unquote, for mm-hmm. concerts, could they then increase from monthly concerts to weekly programs? It would there, if you're talking about that kind of attendance difference, that people would support that, you're saying that's happened in other cities. Is it fair to say that we could expect that here? I'd be curious what Daniel Krupe, the director of the symphony, would think about that. But yes, could they change their programming and add more programming? Yes. Would they? I don't know because of their capacity capabilities. But right now that hall is limited in that it's really hard to do what's called pops shows for the symphony and really large orchestrals. I can't remember what they're doing in April, but the Thomas Wolfe stage was the only one in town big enough to hold it. And so that event moved to Brevard at the Brevard Music Center. And anytime they have a large choral piece they can't put the shell in because there's not enough footprint on our stage so like you have to have those bigger stages it's thinking about where you fit in the market and i think the the best example in my mind is when you look at sports so about eight ten years ago i guess it was winston-salem looked around and realized there was not an indoor track in an eight-hour driving radius of winston-salem so they built an indoor running track and they do gangbuster business all winter long with that And then Greensboro, probably seven years ago, looked and saw that there was not an aquatic center in the southeast and built an aquatic center. And they've held national championships for years on end there. So sports is a lot easier than performing arts. But why is that? uh, It's newer. Performing arts has been around for a while. A lot of towns have theaters. They have arenas, performing arts centers. Sports complexes is a newer market. People are realizing what's out there in amateur and semi-professional sports. But there's a lot of opportunity if you don't go directly at your closest competitor. I'm just hypothetical because I don't want to pretend like we're about to build some major thing and to replace the Thomas Wolf. But if we did, we don't want a peace center because there's a peace center less than an hour away. You don't want to directly compete that close. We want something that is very similar to somewhere three, four hours away that's in a good route for our artists to go through. But for the public, makes sense for them, both locally and regionally, to drive in to come to our shows where there's not a competitor that's more convenient for somebody. I'm glad you brought up that context. So anything that would happen here in the longer term, it isn't simply a question of what are we lacking in Asheville? What does Asheville need? But how are we going to draw people from Greenville, from Johnson City, maybe even Knoxville, two hours away? Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to look at, it sounds like, that you have to look at an entire marketplace and see where the need is. Yeah. So like when we're looking at performances or trying to put offers in to bring shows to town, I'm not concerned with what Salvage Station or Rabbit Rabbit or the Orange Peel is putting on because we're all different in what we program and what we put on and the type of events that we have and the type of facility. I'm competing against Knoxville, against Greenville, against Charlotte, against Roanoke, and sometimes the Triad. And so I'm looking at Atlanta, Nashville, Richmond, D.C., sometimes Raleigh, and trying to figure out who I can route with and how we can put in offers that are, you're playing Nashville Friday, Asheville Saturday, and you're going to go to Durham on Sunday. And just helping work those through, because that's really, that's our competitor, is figuring out the routing and making sure that it works for that band. But the venue's tech has to work for that band, too. So we have to have the ability to host it. Do you play a role in advising city officials, county officials, based on your research and box office returns? Are you playing an advisory role of next steps? So we haven't really gotten into next steps as far as long term at this point. Like really at the moment, we're advising what's wrong 
how long it's going to take to fix it, what it's going to be like, and what that impact's going to be to the community and our operation. I think if we did get into that point, I, along with other people in the community that makes sense, like maybe somebody from the Asheville Arts Council or even Orange Peel Presents, the symphony, obviously, there's going to be a good group of people that will come together that say, this is what the programming space looks like. And then we'll also need people from like, the Tourism Development Authority and the Chamber and just like community interest in downtown to say, this is the type of stuff we want to see at a public facility of ours. And again, going back to that arena reference, everything started with that first phase of renovation in the arena because the Southern Conference basketball tournament had left town and had been here for 20 years. And there were a lot of nostalgic people about how great that tournament was. And the SOCON agreed to come back, but they had some parameters. You need to update ABCD. The locker rooms are terrible and smell like hockey players. Fix these things and we will come back. And so it's we, kind of, that's like what the tourists, Asheville tourist baseball team said, fix these things and we will yep. continue playing here. Are there any tenants of Thomas Wolfe who are saying, fix these things and we will continue. Otherwise we might need a new home. So the symphonies are only permanent tenant and there's not a lot of options for them in town. I'm certain there are many things they would love to have enhanced at that room, but they have never said and have never gotten to the point of saying, if you don't do this, we're going to leave. Like they've been really great partners. And to be fair to Brian DeWine and the tourists, it was really Major League Baseball and the player development standards that that poor ownership group, they, like many others in Minor League Baseball, were stuck in the middle of we have to adhere to these or we lose our license. I would never call them a poor ownership group. Those guys are billionaires. They could have funded it themselves if they wanted to. The family as a whole, maybe, but Brian and team, maybe not. Let's just be clear on that. So we're looking at now six to nine months out that that Mm -hmm. we're going to be closed. What's a wild card here that has to happen to make things happen sooner rather than later? So we're exploring new options completely. Like what if we just completely abandon the type of HVAC that we have and go with something completely different? Can we install it for the same price and faster? Is it a little bit more expensive and faster? Is it cheaper and a little bit slower? Because summertime we're slow anyway. So does it matter if we're not open until September instead of May, for example? So we're trying to find other alternatives. Logic and our engineering team at the venue say like, it does make more sense. Fix what we have. Don't try to make some brand new thing in here because does that really make a lot of sense? But we still got to explore those options. Uh, Every single week for the last five or six weeks, we have had at least a or multiple contractors in looking at every different opportunity, try to give us different ideas, come back in, rework this. Will this do the trick? And hopefully we'll have like a set final solution in the very, very near future. But like right now we've moved forward with small contracts to start initial design on some repairs in the attic so that we can do the work. But we haven't committed to any like significant money yet as we're still trying to vet all the options. Gotcha. So it looks like loosely thinking maybe spring that it will reopen. Yeah. So our nine month period opens us sometime in April. So we're starting to give dates out May and after and, but we're still being really cautious with those May dates. We're basically trying to only confirm something in the auditorium if we still have the arena as a fallback if we have to move it. Gotcha. So you're not booking anything right now in Thomas Wolf at all, like even for summer of 2024. You're, you just don't feel confident enough to do that no, yet. Fall of 24, we've confirmed a few events, but... I'm just not quite confident enough yet with lead times and how everything works. And we had a similar issue that happened. This is like the third domino that's fallen in that theater as far as like something significant that affected either our capacity or ability to host events. And the last one, we lost heating to about two thirds of the room in February of 2020. 
And luckily, unluckily, I don't know, the world shut down two weeks later. And so, wow. so this would have happened three years ago. Yeah, it would have. And so we, our initial quote that we got, which was like, I think it was the 10th of March and the world shut down on the 13th. I don't know why I remember those dates, but we got a quote and it was supposed to take one month and it was going to be like $45,000 or something. And we were like, yep, go ahead. And six months later and like $215,000 later, it was finally fixed because the supply chain just went off the charts and all these other issues. And that could have been a really big deal, but the pandemic shut things down for us. So it never really came out. And this is just a similar failure, but on a slightly greater scale and supply chain still out of hand, part lead times just out of whack and everything costs more. And so that's what we're running into now. Gotcha. Is there anything we haven't talked about around short-term or long-term you want people to know? Uh, I think the big thing is any event that's on our calendar, yes, is still happening. And if it's happening in a space that does have adequate air conditioning, heating, et cetera, because it's not happening in the theater, it might have originally been in the theater. It's now in our arena set up in the theater. If you had tickets, you're being automatically exchanged for comparable seats. So if you had front row, you still have front row, for example, that's happening automatically for you. If you have questions, concerns, Call our box office. We'll take care of you on an individual basis. Our first show in this new arena theater setup is going to be Sunday, August 6th with Fortune Femster. She's a great comic. She's hilarious. And then we'll do it again with Rayleigh Montaigne in early September. Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. I'd like to thank my guest today, Chris Coral, Director of Community and Regional Entertainment Facilities for the City of Asheville. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for the Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook. Hey everyone, Matt Pikin here from The Overlook, and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you, listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, Please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt Pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast. <laughs>